0: NASCAR drivers more are more versatile. More versatile, they're better drivers than everybody else. Um, it's not a debate, um, you know. And oh, by the way, I'm a NASCAR driver.
1: All right, we're live. Hello, welcome to the Money Lap. I'm Parker Kligerman, uh, joined by Landing Castle. This is our podcast about all things motorsports. You could even say it's like the most versatile podcast in all of motorsports what is a money lap it is the perfect lap the qualifying lap that gets the pole it's the lap that pays landon and with that we also have it's a not the lap. perfect lap it's no no oh, that was the perfect lap it is it's not it the perfect
0: up? lap but it's the lap that pays
1: that's right i screwed it up <laughs> that's even better you screw, i love that. you
0: this is the opening the opening <laughs> intro <laughs> to money lap we've been doing this we've been practicing for for two months we literally have we literally have i, I, have don't, I don't think st- we've spent that much time trying. talking about what a money lap is you know what welcome <laughs> to the money lap why did we start this money lap parker well we started we we started with a newsletter really and we have a newsletter called the money lap it goes out every week every tuesday and thursday and it covers everything about motorsports because we love motorsports and you know, it turns out there's a reason we love motorsports, because we've been in motorsports for a long time, or maybe that's vice versa. Maybe we're in motorsports because we love motorsports. Anyways, Parker and Landon, <laughs> we're both professional race car drivers and uh, lovers of all motorsports. So yes, we are versatile. We <laughs> try to talk about yeah, all we... kinds of motorsports. We can talk about versatility later, though, because that is an interesting topic for this week. Uh, but the money lap check out the money lap newsletter Tuesdays and Thursdays. We've got a couple thousand subscribers great open rates there in five minutes You can get everything you need to know about Motorsports and what's happening in motorsports so that when you're out at the bar and you're you're trying to like pick up chicks You you know like you can you know you can snuggle up and be like hey, what's up? Did you know um, what total wolf said about uh, making the racing more exciting this weekend? Um, bam, just something to help you guys out.
1: That's an intro. You know what? You're hired. You're the new intro guy. I like it. Ah, speaking, let's do it. Well, you led perfectly into it. Toto Wolf in the money lap today says the racing needs to be more exciting instead of messing with the formats. And for those who don't know, Formula One has been messing with these ideas of sprint races and sprint formats within their weekends, which historically a weekend in Formula One was two free practices qualifying and a third free practice. And then you had a grand prix. And for all the people that are going to be like grand prix, I'm sorry if you want that on this show, I'm not saying it. You can say grand prix. Landon.
0: Uh, but <laughs> so sprint, the sprint format well, hold does on. set the lineup. Is it part of setting the lineup?
1: It used to be. So the other sprint format last year when they, in the year that they've done this had that where it set the lineup for the actual grand prix. That's, this format was not the case. So you had multiple qualifying sessions, you know, so you had basically a free practice, a qualifying session, then a sprint race, and then a qualifying session, and you had the race, right? And so it was kind of packed and all Mm -hmm. this, but at the end of the day, personally, I don't care. Like, to me, it cheapens the brand, it cheapens the Grand Prix because Formula One is literally the idea of the grand prize, the single, event that's going to get you that one big prize and that is the grand prix to be adding sprint races and such to me is not where f1 needs to be looking and so i agree with total wolf here because if your races were more entertaining your main product they already have everyone's in you know attention off the racetrack with their mm. reality show and all that stuff and the all the politics and everything behind it there's no reason to have sprint races I just, I've never, I have not once yet watched one and thought, my God, I'm so glad I'm watching this. This is awesome. I'm so so excited that they're racing. Like, I would rather watch qualifying every time. And so I just don't understand why this is here. And so I absolutely agree with Toto. Make the races, make the cars race better, and you won't have to have sprint race formats.
0: You know, we can, um, we don't have to spend too much time on this topic. And I know we're coming right on the bat with it. But when you're going through all this something came to mind for me and first of all in nascar we've kind of gone through this right because we've had we've explored heat races at short tracks um obviously the dirt track uses heat races um so nascar has kind of toyed with this idea of heat race format and i think the first question is why do racing series try this why do they you know want to have like feeder races into the main race and i think Think that a lot of times it comes from you might be able to answer this, Parker. TV demand, like t- the the net, the broadcast partners are asking for more racing content, right? So that you have the race weekend yeah. and and you know I do think that sometimes maybe all of the practice content and the qualifying content is while well, it's good. I think the TV partners a lot of times like to broadcast more racing content. They feel like that will attract more eyeballs if there's a race happening that they can broadcast in place of a qualifying session. So I do feel like a lot of times that ask comes from the TV side. And so the racing series then tries to accommodate that by saying, okay, well, here's how we'll adjust the on-track schedule over the course of a weekend, and we'll add in this heat race format. And I think the reason that it fails at this professional level of F1 or NASCAR is when you already have a set field of cars, right? In Formula 1, there's 20 cars in the field, and that's, that's decided you know, before the season even starts. In NASCAR, you have 36 charters. those cars, Those are the cars that are racing. They're guaranteed to race no matter what it it's kind of pointless to have a heat race when you have a set field of cars where heat racing and qualifying races are not just useful but actually really valuable and really entertaining is when you have more cars entered in the race than are actually able to race in the race yes! so on yes! a huge scale right <laughs> like the greatest the greatest one in all of motorsports really is the chili bowl right because you have a 24-car starting field in the Chili Bowl. I'm sorry if I'm screwing this up, um, dirt racers. But you have a 20-some car starting field in the Chili Bowl, but there's three 400 cars that, that sign up to run the Chili Bowl. It takes them an entire week to get through qualifying race heat races, qualifying races. Um, they call them mains, but they're essentially qualifying race. They're A-main features that get you into – the main event right and then even on the day of the main event they have more qualifying races that ladder you up into the main event so you know that's an example of you know motor racing as a tournament <laughs> essentially uh which which is cool i mean i shoot even in you know in i racing and in, in racer, we put on the firecracker 400 and we structure it like a tournament it's a it, we have the ability to take 500 competitors down to 43 by having heat races and qualifying races so it's great when um, and then I'll make one more example. It, it also works even at a smaller scale, right? Take the Daytona 500 when there are, I mean, I, we haven't seen it in a long time, but every year there's, you know, 45, 46, 47 cars trying to attempt a 40 car starting field in the Daytona 500. And there's been years where there were 60 cars trying to attempt the Daytona 500. The, that's what the duels are for, the Thursday night before the Daytona 500. You have two races back-to-back um, they used to call them the twins. Now they're called the duels and with 60 cars. You have two co- fields of 30 cars in each of them um, And you know long story short the top 22 cars or 20 20 cars out of each race are gonna advance to the Daytona 500 that is value That is a valuable heat race, right? That is compelling great story great TV um, but when you don't have that risk uh, of, of a starting guaranteed starting field Heat racing just never does seem to work.
1: It doesn't. Cool. That was,
0: Next topic. <laughs>
1: no, you nailed it. It's perfect. Toto, you're right. F1, scrap them. Focus on the racing product itself. Uh, speaking of racing product, or maybe prodigies, I don't know. Um, not quite. But the Truex family had the sweep at Dover, but we just got to give a shout out to our boy, Ryan Truex, one of my best friends besides yourself uh, in the motorsports world, And this was a big win for the good guys because of how long he has tried to get a win at this level. And all the way back to 2012, if you've ever hung out with him and had a couple uh, drinks, he will remind you he almost won the Dover race in 2012 in Xfinity. (laughs) Rightfully so. He had locked up, taken away, and it took 10 years later to get back there. But that's pretty awesome. I thought it was really cool to see him win.
0: So, I saw a couple of good tweets. Uh, first of all, I had forgotten about that loss of Ryan's and the I saw uh, a Twitter user posted that uh, the last couple laps of that race and the tagline was the best I saw, which was mid 2010's Xfinity lap cars were out of pocket and it was basically <laughs> the worst lap car blocking the leader with five laps to go. Um, and unfortunately it was our boy Ryan was the leader of the race it, he it held him up. He got overtaken by Joey Logano, I think it was. Um, I texted yep. Ryan after the race, and I said, dang, we're no longer tied on the all-time Xfinity win list. Happy <laughs> Um he, he said, I'm sorry, but thank you. That was a fun time. And then I said, uh, I texted him. I said, they might have said it was your home track 500 times on the TV. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, plus I read, I was literally. the track. And then, of course, his brother...
1: Yeah, well, I almost ruined that moment, by the way, oh. with his brother. So, i you do? Was leaving the track? Well, we wrecked, and I was already out of the race. But I hung out, and watched a lot of it, and then I'm, I turned to Shannon, my girlfriend. And I'm like, Ryan's gonna win this race, like unless something stupid here happens, he's gonna win. So I like, we walked very slowly out of the racetrack, and to exit Dover, you have to go over like a, um, you know, a bridge that's over in turn two, and the garages for Xfinity are all the way over in three and four. So it's it's quite a hike. And Mm -hmm. once we get to like halfway to the bridge or even right to the bridge, I'm like, it's three to go. He's won this race. This is over. And so we watch it actually happen. And I'm like, I turned around and said, like, I think I have to go to victory lane. Like I gotta go say something like Ryan and I, we have been through this journey, you know, in this journey together for a long time and have had some great times and some really, you know, helped each other, some really tough times. And so I ran out there onto pit lane and I saw, I sort of positioned where he's going to pull into victory lane, and I'm about to, like, run up and say, like, you know, congrats through the window, and then I realize his brother, Martin Truex Jr., is running down the the pit road like a crazy person with his <laughs> cell phone out, being like, ah! And I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I shouldn't get in the way of this. So I backed away, and then I just gave him get a thumbs the up shot. Through the window. Yeah, and I was like, i got to get out of this Fox shot. And so I was like, I backed away, and then I when he – was done with his brother. He sort of turned in and I thought he saw me. So then I text him afterwards. We had texted anyway. And I was like, Hey, by the way, did you see me? He goes, yes. And I was like, that is the most Ryan tricks possible. So
0: one, one last note on Ryan, Ryan tricks. Um, you know, when guys like him get their first win or they see success, you know, one of the things that we always compliment about them is like, Hey, here's a guy that has always has had to battle uncertainty. Right. Because that's, that's kind of the journey of, Drivers like us drivers like Ryan Jeb Burton who won a Talladega last week You know the one of the endearing qualities of 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 that you know uh, career is that you deal with a lot of uncertainty and Even in its own, you know uh, In its small samples, I mean, I'm a driver that has had a lot of uncertainty in my career But I've had periods of certainty right I've had multi-year contracts or I've had full-time rides that lasted, you know, the, the entire year for two years or three years. Um, Ryan is a driver that I think has never had a period of certainty more than six months in his career. I can't, that is a good point. I don't like, I don't think he's, he's never like, you want to talk about like drivers that top the list of having, I don't, I'm sorry, Ryan, if this was a backhanded compliment or not, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I, I feel like Ryan is a driver that has not had any level of certainty. I mean, I, I guess he ran a truck full time at one point for Nice, maybe? Well, like, he, I don't, he also
1: did one year at college. I don't Colleg. think he's had. He, did, he had the one year at college. But, you know, like he's do one a year. year. Yeah.
0: So he. But most of his deals have just been either race to race or, you know, packages of races. And so. Um, and even this deal with, with Gibbs, you know, I mean, it's not an entire season. He's, he's got handfuls of races here and there. So good for him. Um, keep plugging away. I don't know when he's in the car again, but I know that that's that the shoot, it could unlock, you know, two or three more wins for him.
1: And the last thing I'll say is he didn't just win that race. He absolutely dominated. When he went by me at the beginning of the race, they were telling me I was running the same lap times as the top five cars at that point, 24 ones. And they go, except the 19 who just went by and I could see it. Uh, Yeah, they're like, he's at 23 sixes. (laughs) It was another zip code. So good for him. Uh, Dover. We'll just rip through some other quick topics from the Money Lap newsletter. Scott McLaughlin wins at Barber. That was a cool race. Natural different strategies. Uh, He also will come up later in this episode. Uh, Ross Chastain wrecked another car. Brennan Poole into Kyle Larson, um, making him public enemy number one once again. He did say after the race, I'm sorry, and that I get to race my heroes.
0: Something new and different. (laughs) Sorry, and I get to race my heroes? Okay. Yeah, he said that. Um, I love Ross. Ross and I are friends. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what to say. You know, I, Ross is just really intense. He wants to win. Um, he, I, I respect his driving style a lot because I think that he's someone that has a vision and a goal and he is able to dig really deep mentally to go for that goal. Um, and I think a lot of things happen along the way, like these mistakes, you know, causing wrecks and things like that. And at the end of the day, I think it's more important for him to not let that get to his head, you know, and screw him up. And and people, every, this, this, is, this is what, I mean, the statement I'm making is probably the opposite of what the rest of the world is saying, because everybody wants to say, oh, Ross needs to level his head, and Denny Hamlin's going to be, you know, if he even cared enough, he would say, Landon, what are you talking about? You know, Ross needs to race smarter. And it's just like, I've talked to Ross after these incidents, and I'm like, "Just keep digging, man. Just keep digging." Yeah because as long like but, it, but here's the catch, right? There is a catch to it. Um, and I am a very nuanced debater, so I'm open-minded to all this stuff, and, and we're going to get into that <laughs> later too. You so wait, 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 wait wait, wait, wait. Debater, wait, wait wait
1: wait wait, wait, wait Wait, no, you're versatile.
0: I'm versatile. So it, here's my nuanced debate um, on this whole Ross thing my my initial position with Ross is just don't let it distract you don't listen to what other people have to say because they're not looking out for you right Denny Hamlin is not looking out for you uh Daniel Trotta is not looking out for you like whoever it is that's on Twitter they're not looking out for you right is you and your team and your goal is to win races and win a championship and you just have to keep down your path and keep doing what you're doing and if you feel like you need to stop wrecking people um, then then deal with that in your own way, but don't let these other people distract you. Now, the catch here is um, he's leading points, right? So he's accomplishing his goal. He's He's been winning races, right, or, or running really, really well. So this, whatever he's doing, right, wrecking cars on accident, oh, I feel bad, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, but it's continuing to happen, that's all fine and dandy while you're the points leader and while you're winning races. Right. If he's still doing that when he's running fifteenth, or when they're out of the playoffs, that's when it really backfires on you, and that's when you you know you have to adjust. But as long as he's still accomplishing his goals, he needs to continue down that path.
1: So I want to disagree with you, but I can't. now I don't
0: endorse wrecking. Yeah. What? <laughs> well, I want to. I don't disagree endorse with you. wrecking. You know, I, I'm not. I'm not using that as a way to endorse wrecking Brendan Poole. Like that's wrong, no matter yeah. what. Right. It's just like. This is what he's trying to accomplish by being a NASCAR champion is so freaking hard and it is gonna take so much of his focus right that like he can't whatever aggression level he needs to drive lap after lap after lap to be able to run in the top five and to be able to compete with these guys if if he can't change that just because he wrecked Brendan Poole on accident right. He can't change that just because he nerfed Denny Hamlin and didn't really mean to, but he just was stepped over the line, right? Like as long as he's continuing to get his results, he's just got to keep going, man. Like, I don't know. I, 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 I think if I'm Ross Chastain and I get two wins a year and I make it through the playoffs and I make the final four again, I, I guess I'll just say, I'll apologize after every race. If I have to, I don't know. Other, <laughs> he, I mean, well, I don't show he, me another way. I guess I don't, He
1: barely missed the championship last year. He was just behind Joe Logano at the end of that race. Um, So, I mean, in essence, it was, you know, it led to being, as you put it, a championship for a contender and almost a champion. So why would you change it? It's all been extracted to you that, you know, every bit of your performance and everything you've done has led you to your best performance of all time and finishing result ever. So I get that, right? And I get that what you're saying, which is, This will take everything he has and more because he's trying to win at the highest level of American motorsports and its biggest prize. And he is going up against gargantuan organizations with entrenched speed and, you know, ability and, you know, wherewithal that as Trackhouse, a younger team that took over for Ganassi, which had not competed for championships in years prior. um, You know, they're trying to do something to, to take that organization to that point. So... I agree with you and I and I want to disagree with you on maybe the way he goes about it, right? But personally as a spectator and as a guy who has been on the TV side I love it. <laughs> I just think I I think <laughs> there should be more people who just don't give a shit about anyone partner. else. Well, really, and not just that, like you shouldn't have to care about your competitors. They are the ones who want to beat you. Like, why do you want anyone to get out of that car and be like, man, I'm really sorry for Brendan Poole. Why should he care for Brendan Poole? Why at all? Like, I know I I like Brendan, good dude. We talk all the time, consider him a friend. But hold on, hold on, hold on. And my point being, I know he cares about them, but my point being, this is a dog eat dog world. You need to worry about you. And I think this mentality is respected Years past the time that you're doing it. But for a lot of people, need to understand that right now, the way he approach, is approaching this is what's enabling him to have success. It also, he has the success, so he can fall back on that, that it's not an issue holding them back. And lastly, he should only care about him and whatever way he thinks is correct. Is the way he should do it and that's just i i don't agree with anything anyone else out there saying that he has to change or anything no whatever he thinks and his owners and his sponsors think is correct then he can do whatever he wants but that whatever they think is correct
0: and as long as he's getting the results that they're looking for and it seems like he does have the support you know justin marks has come out publicly i think last year and just said we told ross to keep doing his thing keeping himself so i mean this conversation this dialogue i didn't plan this but inspired me (laughs) so much i just sent ross a check text and said don't ever change (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> he'll know why soon last ah, news topic my, uh, i desk. thought yeah well there's a, a um there's a global news section in money lap which i always find fascinating where we we dump some of the most interesting links from around the w- motorsport world uh and one that popped out to me was supercars which is, used to be known as v8 supercars in australia yeah. which is like their form of nascar that's on road courses they just went to a brand new car this season called the gen 3 car which is their version of our next gen car in nascar right it's this car that's far more spec um and that has hopefully made the racing closer and it's less reliant on downforce and all this stuff and it's been very cool they have a camaro and a mustang going versus each other but one of the things they also did that nascar has not done and they were one of the few racing series i've seen do this really in the world they have basically decided there's two engines available for the series, which is the Chevy and the Ford that are essentially crate motors. They are built by the same engine builder. They are then, you know, numbered, and the series randomly assigns those engines to either, you know, the Ford ones to the Ford teams and the Chevy ones to the Chevy teams. Uh, And the whole effort is to, one, reduce cost, obviously, which they've done massively. It's it's a gargantuan lowering of cost. They didn't lose a lot of performance. And lastly, to have parity, and they've had it like in the, fir- in the I think it was the second or third race of the year, that this field in the top 20 was separated by basically three and a half tenths from first to 20th on Oof. a road course. Like that is a tight damn field. The one thing that was interesting that was That's in the insane. money lap – Was the Ford teams are complaining that some of the mapping in their engine isn't correct. So they actually got an adjustment, but it didn't help enough. And so it's just a funny thing when you talk about like super close racing and the parity that that creates. When the cars are so similar, the engines are the same. Is that the Ford teams believe maybe they're losing a little bit on the engine mapping. And that it can make the difference. And it's like that's when you get down these (laughs) tiny little things that make huge differences. So it'll be interesting to see how supercars and the teams, everyone, you know, react to that. Because it's kind of the future of a lot of motorsports series to go this path. Um, But it's just, I thought, a very interesting
0: thing uh, to see how small, tiny things would make such huge differences. We kind of need to follow that a little bit more. And I, myself, I want to know more about that because, you know, we always talk about how – in NASCAR, the final boss is the engine builder, right? Like the <laughs> final boss on the the, the quest <laughs> uh, the, I, the the final boss on the quest of of you know controlling costs or having parity in this sport um, is that engine builder because in our sport, you know we still have essentially open engines, right? We have engine independent engine builders. Um, they're all subsidized by the manufacturer. Uh, to The teams have to lease their motors from the engine builders. It's an absolutely astronomical cost that's insane, um, especially for a motor that, you know, we're, we're paying. I was actually just – I was having this conversation with someone else this morning, and the conversation always leads to a place where I go, how much – Money can I spend on Jegs.com to buy a crate engine that has the same amount of power as the engine in our Xfinity car? And I think for like sixteen thousand dollars, you can buy a crate engine that has like seven hundred horsepower. We spend. It probably has a warranty too. Fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, it has a warranty. We have fifty thousand dollars per race in Xfinity. Hundred and fifty thousand dollars per race in Cup to To a rent an engine you don't even own it you don't even get the motor you just got to rent it for one race for that much money so um it, it you know obviously that i would imagine the supercars really really reduce their costs uh with this this crate engine it's interesting how they're they're making it a handout type thing too um so I, I'm curious, I'm, I guess to go back to my original point, I'm curious on how Supercross the series was able to sort of beat that final boss. Like how were they able to go to those engine builders and be like, ah, we're, we're essentially putting you out of business, right? We're going to contract one single engine builder to build all the motors. Um, they got the manufacturers on board with it, obviously, because, um, because there's manufacturer support in that series. How how did they accomplish that politically?
1: It's a good question. I think we'll just have to follow it and see how it aligns. I know I did watch a YouTube video that was like all about the motors and how they were building them. And it was actually really fascinating. Um, and it was, uh, it was hosted by Mark Larkham, Who's like the, they call him Larko. He's a former driver. who's a competitor over there. Does a great job. Like their tech guy. Um, but it was, it was really interesting. And I don't know the background, especially like, as you put it, the political side of how they got that done, where they got the other engine builders, maybe to, Be like, yeah, we're taking this business from you. Um, Or even, you know, like where that all went down. But I I think a lot of it was just financial. Um, They have had some uncertainties in their TV contracts and that sort of thing that they've had to work through financially. So I think a lot of it's probably financial, but we'll follow it. Um, Speaking of engines, dude, we do have to talk about one thing that came out today on Twitter, which is uh, Mm. the team principal for Aston Martin Formula One, Mike Crack, was on bloomberg tv where he said that they likely what? will not be what
0: you're what did you <laughs> i sorry.
1: i, I was, needed i was waiting was i wanted joke. someone to make a joke i was like i wonder if he'll catch this name and say something to me <laughs> all right anyway I'm sorry start that over mike, mike crack from aston Martin. mike crack <laughs> my mike crack Mike crack, mike crack said that uh, we likely oh, won't be racing. Nobody,
0: this, nobody's going to take us serious, Parker. This is where no, nobody's going to take us serious. We're done. We're done.
1: Um, we won't be racing an internal combustion engine 20 years from now. The combustion engine will have its time for the next 10 years for sure, but ultimately it will fade out. This was his quote. I do not fully agree. Do you agree? No, I don't. And here's my reasoning. Formula One has been very uh, forward-thinking in their ad- additions mm-hmm. of hybrid power, right? Many years ago, back in 2014, they, they added hybrids and before that there's KERS and all this stuff, right? The, the electric side has proven to be sort of an enticer for manufacturers, but it really wasn't what they thought it would be, right? You really didn't get many manufacturers joining because of the hybrid technology. They eventually joined because Formula One got more popular, and now you have every manufacturer want to be a part of it. I don't care if it was, you know, naturally aspirated V8s or hybrid technology. It wouldn't matter. They'd all be there. The, and anyone who tells you different, don't listen. The thing is, they also have been very forward thinking in the idea of going towards e-fuels, and they've announced that by, I think, 2026, they'll be entirely, you know eco-friendly the fuels will be e-fuels which e-fuels are synthetic created fuels that mimic gasoline right but they're created entirely synthetically and one of the biggest issues with it in the last few years has been the cost to produce it is massively high you know if it's I uh, i don't know if it's a dollar per gallon it's like 10x higher to produce an e-fuel uh gallon so it's really tough it's really complex but they are going down this path and i personally have been selling you know trying to get anyone who would listen on the NASCAR side to look at this before we ever went electric, because to me, this is the answer for internal combustion engine racing to be able to go into an electrified future without being electric. If electric was the predominant form of what people want to see in racing right now, Formula E would be absolutely massive. And is it popular? Yes. Is it doing well with manufacturers? Yes. But is it the single largest form of racing in the world right now absolutely not and i just don't think it has that chance so i get manufacturer relevance but we also still race horses and i've seen this mentioned many times and i've always said this they haven't been a viable form of transportation in over 120 years we still race them i think top level motorsports and the internal combustion engine can be a place where and motorsports in general can be a place to prove how long we can really go with the internal combustion engine and i think manufacturers i know by 2035 you have certain cities that are saying you know we won't be allowing the sale of internal combustion engines and that sort of thing i don't know if that really matters because if you think about the nascar model we don't sell carbureted v8s like we do have in xfinity series but manufacturers still care to be there right so What does it matter if a car is racing an internal combustion engine, but they don't sell them anymore? I just don't know if that is really the the limiter when there's a billion people that watch F1 every year, right? So I don't agree with him because I believe because of e-fuels and proving how far it can go and for the entertainment side of the sport, the internal combustion engine will go a lot longer than anyone thinks.
0: Um... I so I have a kind of a different perspective on it that has a very I have a very macro um, maybe holistic might be or theological I think could be I'm sorry sorry for using big words here but I think (laughs) theological is my we lost everyone it is my perspective I I have this theological perspective on on this topic and it involves agreeing with him and i think that you know first of all i'll say there will always be internal combustion engine racing forever right um and there will always be a place for that forever um even if it's all the way down on the local level or there will always be racing series with it because those engines are cool and like you said there we still have horse racing um but I think from a, from like a motorsport, like what is the point of motorsports? And even F1, like this is, this would be my argument to agreeing with him that F1 someday will be all electric. And I'm not saying because, you know, they decided one day, like, you know, from here on out, it's electric or that's that's what the fans wanted or whatever. I think the reason it will be all electric is because I think that electric motors and electric race cars are going to be they're going to surpass internal combustion engine race cars as a higher performance race car right they're going to be faster someday they're going to Mm -hmm. um, they are going to last longer eventually they're going to perform better and the whole point of motor racing to exist F1 especially right because essentially the point of F1 is like let's build the fastest race car in the world they're the fastest race cars in the world aren't they I don't know. Maybe yep. maybe they're not. Yeah. Are they? No, not? they are. Like they are. it is the pinnacle of speed on a on a road racetrack, right? Downforce and speed, and they go 200 miles an hour, and they can stop on the dime. Eventually, for F1 to still be F1, if you can build an electric car that goes faster, that that can go faster than an F1 car, then F1 has to be that car, in my opinion. Like just just you know for for the sake of the religion of it, right? So. Mm-hmm. I think that that's where he's right is is someday that those electric powered cars, the, the batteries are going to get lighter and the CG is going to get lower and then the power is going to go up and the longevity is going to go up. Eventually, they're going to it's going to blow an F1 car out of the water and the manufacturers are going to find a way to be like, we want to race these. Um, and I think that transition is going to be the interesting thing like how does that happen right that's what we don't know like i we we're so used to being able to say that it's binary right like oh it's going to be in 2029 all the cars are going to switch over to electric but who knows how it happens right because the sports go through so many different transitions you know where it's like right now all global motorsports is on this trend of like everything needs to be spec right so we're all going to spec cars we're all going to crate engines we're all going to this everybody runs the same thing that this and that, but who's to say that in the next decade, it doesn't go completely the other direction where motor racing goes back on a run what you brung trend. Right. And what if F one goes back to this, 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 this format that it used to have, you know, decades ago where it's like, there are no rules. you just, you just bring what you want and you're going to have all kinds of engines. And and then an electric car comes into the field and it's the only electric car and Tesla is fielding an F one team. And and they win the Formula One World Championship with a with an electric car beating out all these, you know, V sixes and supercharged and whatever. You know who knows. Um, I, I, that's that's like a, well, that's a really, a really cool future land type thinking. I want to sign up for that. <laughs> that's I don't I don't know I you know it's a re- I, I know I'm like really kind of getting out there and and it's a it's maybe would. Tease is like a big brain thought process, but it's like the core of that theory to me, it's just the fact that the point of motor racing, especially F one is what is the fastest possible race car that can exist? Right? Well, that car is F one. And so, um, if an electric car can beat that, I think that F one eventually will be electric someday.
1: Shit. You sold me. That was cool. (laughs) I want to see that. I want to see, uh, (laughs) The hybrids and the electric cars go head-to-head and Tesla to be in Formula One. That would be awesome. Now, the realist in me says this is not going to happen, and I really think all motorsports in this time period you're talking about is going to be in a real inflection point of deciding whether you go towards manufacturer relevance or you go towards entertainment and show, right? Because – which is – that already happened. I want it to happen Constantly in NASCAR. Busy.
0: Here's my 60-second pitch. Cool. pitch. That would be i a 60-second pitch on NASCAR cool. real quick. Go. I got it. I got a pitch for NASCAR. Okay. Chassis and bodies are all on the same platform right now. Bodies, obviously, you know, the manufacturers have to have identity. So there's aero balancing and everything that has to be the same, but let, let's just say chassis and bodies, same platform that we're using. Now the engine and drivetrain is completely run what you brung. Okay. But here there has to be parameters, right? So the engine and drivetrain is determined by the manufacturer that you're with, and the manufacturer is responsible for developing the engine and drivetrain. So let's just say right now we have Ford, Chevy, and Toyota. Um, let's, say, let's say we're able to bring in another manufacturer. Let's say we can bring in VW, right? Well, now we have four manufacturers, and they can build whatever they want. So VW, shoot, they could run a diesel car if they, if they wanted to, right? And Tesla could build an engine, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, an electric car. So, I think that you'd have to have some parameters there where the manufacturers are required to support up to a certain, uh, either a minimum, a maximum, or, or just a number of cars. So, if you have five manufacturers, they all have to f- support six cars, there's a 30-car field, or, or seven cars, there's a 35-car field, um, and the manufacturer supplies the in, the power plant in, in the drivetrain right so now you also make it to where like that's the manufacturer's contribution so maybe the teams don't have to pay for it so that gets rid of the whole like engine builder and the whole scam system of you know leasing engines and how that bs business model works in our sport right now um you basically just have the manufacturers providing their support via the power plant to these teams and it's just total run what you bring they can build whatever they want if if, Ford is working on hybrid supercharged or V6s, I don't know. I'm not much of an engine guy, but um and and if Mopar is in the sport or Dodge is in the sport and they still want to have a, a a big block and a whatever, you know, big old school engine package that they're, they they want to build that they're putting in their Hellcats um more power to them as long as they can fit it in the car in the NASCAR chassis in the platform, they can run it. If Tesla wants to build an electric car, by God, let's do it.
1: So I fully support this because I am a huge supporter of when there's innovation in motorsports, especially at the top level, give it if, – if you're going to innovate, if you're going to try and say we're doing stuff that's really cool and highly technologically advanced, make it that the fans can see it, hear it, or feel it. So if it means yep. the powertrains are different – then, by all means, they will know that when a oh. car goes by and it's electric, you'll sense it. When it goes by yes. and it's a V eight, you'll know it. When it goes by and it's a V six twin turbo and it shifts and pops and a blow off valve goes off when you you know lift off the gas, they'll know it. You can you can <laughs> sense that, you can see that, you can hear it, and you can feel it. To me, that is should be the, if the it, basis. If of it which goes you by and it's innovation.
0: your, if it goes by and it's your cousin Kyle who just got his signing bonus for signing up for the Marines. Hellcat. You'll know it. <laughs> Drinking a monster.
1: Awesome. awesome. <laughs> uh, let's just quickly Dover. Dove just some things I saw there I thought were cool. Uh, James Small taking two tires to beat our buddy Ross Chastain there on four. They had to make that call. The 19 was leading with that late race caution. You can't throw that weight race away by putting four tires on the 19 car. Keep the track position. Martin Truex Drove his butt off to try and stay ahead of the the one car and did it. Got the win in the sweep. I just thought that was a really cool, uh, correct call by James Small. Because I think we always talk about crew chiefs and the wrong call they make. That was one of those times where you got to give a shout-out to saying, hey, you made the right call. As opposed to last year at New Hampshire, they had a late race decision and made the wrong call, lost that race, and the 19 didn't make the playoffs. So uh, I thought that was a big moment for James Small. Good job, James. Mate. There you go. Mate. Um, all right. We've been, jo- we've been joking about it. <laughs> we have been referencing it. Well, uh, But you
0: – well, what? <laughs> what? You're not going to let me introduce this? Well, we, we were – were we going to talk <laughs> – okay, okay. We're skipping Corey for a minute because I don't really leave him like after. shout out our boy Corey.
1: We're going to do it after. We'll okay, it
0: after. okay. We can talk about Corey later. We've
1: got to give the people what they want because we- this is what they've come here for. <laughs> okay okay landon this is a versatile podcast okay? i
0: i just wanted to break up your intro you <laughs> thank what? you
1: thank you so we what i was gonna say was you went viral this weekend um and it was via a tweet that has one million views <laughs> on twitter It's over 1,300 likes, 2 to 300 retweets, and like almost 400 replies. Um, And the Twitter, the tweet, not the Twitter, I'm going to read to you here. NASCAR drivers are the most versatile professional racing drivers in the world. More surfaces, racing styles, track types than any series. F1 driver is a true specialist focused on singular style of racing, while a modern Cup Series driver must be a jack of all trades. Discuss. So, Landon, I'm going to let you have the floor here to explain yourself with the tweet that not only got covered by other racing media, but it was actually quote tweeted by an Indy 500 champion, the IndyCar race winner of this past Sunday. Many other IndyCar drivers referencing it, and most of all, motorsports Twitter making some form of veiled reference to the idea of the word versatile. Explain yourself
0: um, if you would remember oh, the other another fun point about this tweet because it does seem like the reaction to this tweet was a lot of uh, uh, there was a lot of IndyCar reaction. Um, there was a lot of I, I would say it was mostly IndyCar reaction, so it, it, I also got a lot of uh, uh, a lot of hate from them. A lot of disappointment. <laughs> a lot of great nuanced discussion, though, yep. which is really why you know um, I'm I'm ex- I, I really feel like uh, I'm pretty open minded. So I, that's why I said discuss. I think if you read a lot of my replies, I was fairly nuanced in it all. Um, it was an insensitive time that I sent the tweet because it was during the IndyCar race, and obviously I didn't mention IndyCar in the original tweet. It took till my second tweet that I gave a nod to IndyCar and the <laughs> versatility that I see that in, in their demand and their schedule. Um, you know, it was really the reason I brought up NASCAR and F1 in the original tweet is because it was to me, I wanted to use like two polarizing examples, right? So, um, NASCAR drivers, the most versatile, professional racing drivers, drivers in the world, more surfaces, racing styles, track types, than any other series. Um, I believe that because, the nascar schedule is 38 races or is it still do we still call it 38 or is it 36 races because of points races so let's well, say 36, it's 36 points, races 38 over the course of yeah 38 races because there's an exhibition it will act, so it is it's 38 races over the course of essentially 44 weeks because there's only a couple weekends off 40 weeks so you have a, a ton of races on a very dense schedule right Um, and a ton of different styles of race tracks, but not just race tracks, but styles of racing, right? So you have, I mean, there's multiple different ovals, but those produce different styles of racing. So a short track oval has a different style and technique of racing than an intermediate oval. And, um, which also has a different style of racing than a super speedway oval. Um, and there's kind of an equal amount of races on the NASCAR schedule, each, each of those ovals. We also have, you know, proper road courses like Coda, um, Indianapolis Road Course, um, Road America, but there's, we have a Roval, which is some, this kind of like hybrid road course. Uh, We have a street course now, which is new this year. Um, We have a dirt track. Um, So NASCAR has this variety of racing styles and race tracks, Um, the density of the schedule, which I'll you know, touch on now is like you have drivers who have to go from racing at Coda um, or racing, you know, racing at Atlanta in a super speedway. I'm trying to think of the schedule in, in real time here, but you're racing at Atlanta in a super speedway format, and then you essentially have five days to prepare for the Coda race, um, where you're going to Coda and you have to race on a road course format and a totally different style of racing, um, totally different car build, and then you're going from that and you're racing on a short track um, Martinsville or wherever they raced after Coda. So you're just, you're, you only have five days in between to, to prepare for each and every race. Um, and then I think within the races too, there's just a lot more complexity, um, in restarts and lane choice and choosing, um, you know, the sheer volume of cars on the racetrack, our field sizes are double what, um, most other racing series have, right? IndyCar and, formula one are around 20, 25 cars in their field. Uh, we have 36 to 40. It's not quite double, but, um, so we have more cars, you know, the way we interact with pit road is different. Um, no pit speed limiters, more cars on pit road at a given time, more pit stops over a course of a race. So it's just like the course of a race drivers are having to adjust and having to deal with way more complexities the teams are dealing with way more complexities, the course of the season, um, and the density of the season adds to that. I, it's just not physically. Okay. So that's, that's the NASCAR. That's the one extreme. I talked about extreme spectrums. The other end of the spectrum, I believe is F one, right? Where F one is highly specialized, right? So those drivers and teams, um have to be extremely specific to exactly what they're building and what they're optimizing their car for and that is really I mean Parker you know that side of the world better than I do what would you call it? road racing right like or or yep. road course racing is F1 right grand prix yep. racing to the Doesn't point that like course they don't or even
1: natural train. it's a, it's a road course they do
0: they do have um they do have street courses and there, so there is some different Racetrack textures and and maybe you know you could get super granular and I'm sure an F1 engineer would rip me to shreds about how different all their racetrack textures and unique all the racetrack textures are, but like my from my perspective I'm an F1 um, they're even really particular about their racetrack textures they want their tracks to be smooth right they don't want their tracks to be abrasive mm-hmm. um, they in fact repaved Coda which did not need to be repaved uh, because <laughs> F1 deemed it to be too rough, too bumpy for them, too much texture, right? Is that correct?
1: Yep. Yep.
0: If I'm wrong, uh, just correct me. I don't know. So, <laughs> you know, that's my understanding of that. So it's like F1 is is highly specialized, very specific um to that form of racing and then even within the race, the race format is pretty straightforward, right? Um, traditionally, now this is kind of changing this year because we're seeing a little bit more cautions, right? We, th- we saw them throw us a full course or safety car. You call it an F1 caution at Baku, um, for an incident that probably would have been a local yellow in the past, I think, mm-hmm. um, or a virtual safety, car. but generally speaking, or a virtual safety car, generally speaking, you know, F1 is going to go flag to flag. The pit strategy is straightforward. They don't take fuel. Um, they often pit only once or twice in a race. It's, I'm not trying to say it's not difficult. I'm not trying to say, you know, it's not complex in its own right. I'm just saying that like, there's, there's, there's a lot of variables that NASCAR has to deal with that isn't a variable in F1 to where they, they're hyper-focusing in maximizing, you know, um, a way more specific discipline than in NASCAR. Um, if uh indycar fans got really really offended by my tweet and i think that my tweet was really inter and I, I i can see this from just reading you know the tweet i think my tweet was obviously interpreted to be like nascar drivers are better than all everybody else for the, for this reason they're more versatile yep. and they're better drivers <laughs> nascar drivers more are people. more versatile more versatile they're better drivers than everybody else um it's not a debate um you know and oh, by the way i'm a nascar driver so i just opened myself up to a ton of um criticism. So I, I understand that. I, you know, and people, and this is why it's it's difficult to have nuanced debate on social media, or maybe to start nuanced debate on social media. Like, uh, you know, this podcast is probably a better platform to start this conversation and then take it to social media. Cause you can sort of draw, you, you can, you can establish the conversation in the long form here. And then you can always point to it on social media. You can say, Hey, we had this conversation about versatility. What do you think? You make a thread out of it. I just kinda like fire this off while I'm sitting on the couch watching the IndyCar race. Um and so it just got a bunch of people going. I was texting with Dale Jr. yesterday actually about it. And Dale was like, Well, you did kinda ask for it. And I was like, I didn't Ask for it, But I could see that. I get yeah, I mean <laughs> like maybe the delivery wasn't you know, the, the delivery of the original tweet um just, just brought in all of this conversation. But you know, I uh, first of all, I hope that anybody that spends time, you know, listening to me or reading the rest of my responses can see um, that not only on this topic, but most other topics. I mean, we had we were talked earlier in this podcast about um, you know some some pretty fun and interesting things, and I'll make some fun and interesting statements. But I'm pretty flexible flexible guy when it comes to these things. Like I, I'm pretty nuanced, and I wanna I want to have a nuanced debate about versatility in a professional racing driver what it means um and in the context of this conversation i feel like a nascar driver is going through more diversity um and has to make more adaptations than any other racing driver over the course of a race over the course of the racing season uh based on the current nascar structure it hasn't always been that way right in the past three decades of nascar um through the 90s and the 2000s we were paved oval racing specialists right we only raced 100%. on two road courses a year and one of them one of the road courses is the f- first of all both road courses sonoma and watkins glenn are world-class race courses i love them um especially watkins glenn but watkins Glen. Is a road course, but it's a fast, high-speed road course. It just plays right in. It's a it's a perfect introduction road course for a stock car oval racer, right? Um, yep. Sonoma maybe a little bit more slower and technical, but those are the only two road courses we've had for decades up until the last decade. So um, this is a new thing, and so maybe he, here's another rebuttal to my own to my own tweet, right? This is this is what I'm willing to, to debate myself. He's fighting with is, himself, folks. You know, I said Watch drivers out, drivers are. Well, no, listen, like, this is where my mind goes. I love that. This is why I love talking about this, have these conversations. I can just sit and talk with myself about it, and I'm going to argue with myself. So, you know, so I said NASCAR <laughs> drivers are the most versatile professional racing drivers in the world. Well, based on everything I'm saying, it's really the schedule in its current format. You could say this, the NASCAR schedule and format is producing the most, is going to produce the most versatile racing drivers. Because, you you know, there's a lot of NASCAR drivers in the field um and i don't really need to name them but it's just like but but there's plenty of people in the thread in my twitter thread that started naming drivers out um that were like well, what about this guy what about this guy he sucks on road courses or this guy and it's just like well those are drivers that if they don't become versatile to these new disciplines like dirt racing and road racing and street courses um and even the new formats that nascar throws their way you know double file restarts and choose cones if they don't adapt to those things then then they're not versatile, and they're not going to make it, right? They're going to be replaced by the real drivers, um, by the real versatile drivers. And I think that it's this new, this new direction that NASCAR is going with versatility, um, can will will produce some really interesting strategies from teams too. This is kind of going into the par- conversation you and I had Parker on the phone earlier today, where it's like. Now, with the complexity of this schedule, it's not so one-dimensional. We're not paved oval racing specialists, right? There's pretty much an equal number of super speedway races, short track, oval road races. A team can take a specialist strategy to try to leapfrog their organization into the playoffs, right? And have a shot at the championship. Now, granted, the playoffs themselves only has one road course in it. But for a lot of teams, half the battle is just getting there, right? So look at some of the challenger teams. College Racing, right? Puts AJ Allmendinger um, in a cup car this year. You have teams, single car teams like JTG, right? You have Spire. You have Legacy. Like, you have these challenger teams that just getting into the playoffs is a huge thing for them. So they might, over time, start looking at ways to say, hey, instead of trying to be good at 26 races right because it takes because there's 26 races leading into the playoffs what if we focus on the five or six or seven races that we have the best chance of winning at if we specialize in them right and that's where i think an indycar driver will probably disrupt the nascar field or a f1 driver you know romaine grosjean instead of going indycar racing goes nascar racing uh, because a NASCAR team gets bold and says, "Let's disrupt the NASCAR field and hire a specialist," um, or they find a DTM driver or somebody from from a specialized discipline of road racing, a supercars driver. Oh my God, could you imagine? I mean, we've yep. done this before well, with Marcos Ambrose, right? Yeah, imagine like we've Scott seen McLaughlin. this happen. Well, and Scott, Ma- your buddy, yeah, Scott McLaughlin would would kill in NASCAR right? I, I think, it is, especially because he's under the Penske umbrella, he would probably be in pretty good equipment right off the bat. I would imagine, I would love to ask, I would love to find out if Scott McLaughlin and Roger Penske have talked about taking him full-time NASCAR racing anytime soon, <laughs> because with the direction NASCAR is going, you can take his specialty, which is road racing, but he's come from stock car road racing, right? He's come in... And actually, and this is, this is where I'll I'll just hurt a bunch of feelings again by saying this supercars drivers are highly specialized in stock car road racing, right? Like that is the most specialized that, that is right there with F1 in terms of specialized, right? I guess they, um, I mean, they have street races, street courses and terrain road courses, but, um, but they're highly specialized on road racing, um, so scott i mean his with his background would probably come into nascar in a penske car and win on a road course in his first year it would not surprise me at all yep right you also um, just to, not to but anyway so have, my point is i think well, a team
1: uh, what's that well you have jane shane van shane van gisbergen sorry who's been uh you know rumored to be a part of the project 91 car so he's Probably the best supercars driver right now uh, since Scott McLaughlin left and has you know, competed with him but has been a world-class talent over there. You know, he's, as you put it, those guys for years, if guys went over there and tried to do supercars when it was V8 supercars and old versions of cars, it was like watching an open-wheel driver try and come do NASCAR. It was incredibly tough. They were so specialized to that form of racing. Think about this. For a long time, a majority of the supercars field, up until recently, and I still think it is actually this this is the predominant form of braking, they right foot brake. Where in motorsports right now does anyone right foot brake? That's how specialized they were to the diffs of those cars, the way the transmissions worked. They were so good at that. And when Marcus Ambrose came over here, he brought that same braking and sort of thought process to a stock car, and that's why he was lights out. The fastest guy on road courses. If he was in better cars, I don't think he ever would have lost one. Um, And you know, in the speed department. So and now on the next general platform,
0: the equipment is way more equal. I mean, it would it it would be incredible. And I think it's a it's a strategy that um, teams need to look at and are probably looking at it right now. Is how can we use this as a way to just forget about Richmond, Dover, Pocono, like Darlington. Whatever maybe those, maybe those races are bad examples. Well, Darlington, not necessarily. I think it's in the playoffs. But, like, Pocono, not a playoff race. Um, well, Dover. I, hang on. i got to think about this for a second because those races get you. Dover. My, my point is forget <laughs> about all those races. Like, let's specialize in these races. We're going to hire a supercars driver. And I, so going back to my tweet and the, the, the drama around it, I do want to make a point here is I got a lot of responses – of people that were like, and again, cause the interpretation of my tweet was like, oh, NASCAR drivers are more versatile. Their schedule is more versatile. So therefore NASCAR drivers are better than everybody else. And that was not my point. In fact, that's the opposite. Cause I got a lot of responses that were like, well, what about this guy? And what about this guy? And this, you know, Jimmy Johnson went to IndyCar and couldn't compete. And you know, this guy could come into NASCAR and would probably win And that drive, put XYZ in an F1 car and they wouldn't win or good luck trying to compete in a supercars race. And I wanted, I told a lot of people, if you look at my responses, I'm like, that's my point. Because with this schedule and this format, and the way that a NASCAR driver has to adapt week to week to a completely different discipline every single week, and they only have five days to prepare for it, and they have all these other complexities and pit stops and the, the race format and racing for stage points and when to race for stage points, when not to race for all these different things, you have so many things you have to focus on. We cannot specialize. We're generalists right so you have to be really good at just kind of like picking here and picking there within your race and so no you're not going to take a nascar driver and just put him in a supercars race and be like oh, see he didn't win what do you think landon it's like no he's not a, he's not a specialist in that category we don't we don't you know we don't prepare for for a road course the way that those guys prepare because we simply don't have the time to it's not we don't have the resources and we have to go to another race Right. And there's only yep. one road course in the playoffs. So it goes and, that, and that's spinning back around to the to the conversation here about a strategy that I think a team could make is you could game this system. You could shortcut some of this schedule by just specializing in one category, saying we're going to dominate road courses or Parker yourself. And you and I talk about this is like, I think you should focus on. And if I could do this again in the Xfinity series, I would love to do it, is like, I would take an entire team, and not just the driver specialty, I would love to take an entire team and say, we're going to focus this year on road courses and super speedways, boom, that's it, and Phoenix, right, because Phoenix is a championship race, road courses, super speedways, and Phoenix. And I'm not just talking about like, oh, so that means I think about it more and I go to bed thinking about it more and and I'm in the work on the sim. I'm talking about top down at an organization. All of our wind tunnel testing goes towards super speedways and road courses. All of our K and C rig testing is focused on our road course cars and the chassis flexing on road courses. You know all of our seven post time and all of our time on the pull down rigs and all of our preparation. You know we still have to go do those other races and the short tracks and the intermediates, but we're not going to put near the amount of resources and engineering behind those races because the the time that we spend in the simulator, the time that we spent working in simulation, the time that we spend in the wind tunnel, the time that we spend developing a new chassis and a new body and a new car is going to go towards a road course and a super speedway. And the reason I say that is because those are your best chances to win. Those are, those are the two types of races where the driver can make the most difference is a road course and a super speedway. The, the decision-making of a driver in a super speedway, the cars are way more equalized there because they're restricted. You're running wide open. The driver can make way more of a difference as long as he survives because the wrecks are chaotic at the end. <laughs> the driver can make way more of a difference there. And then obviously a road course, it's like, in NASCAR road courses is nobody's specialty yet. We're not super sophisticated at racing them. There's a ton of low hanging fruit there to, for a driver to be like, I'm going to become a world class road course racer. Uh, we saw it in you know we see it in the Xfinity series with AJ Allmendinger. He's just unbeatable because the Xfinity series is a step below Cup, but AJ is probably one of the greatest stock car road racers to have ever walked the earth. And so it's just like it's there's there's so much um, disparity there that he's yep. unbeatable in Xfinity car and road courses. And hey. I think that a team Well, any I didn't team, mean to cut you let off. Me finish this Go ahead. Go ahead. Yep. Any team any team, especially maybe a mid-range team, right? Like um like Jordan Anderson, who just invested a bunch in their Super Speedway program and won at Talladega, um, can say, hey, we could do this in the Xfinity series and get three or four wins before we get to the playoffs, right? Or even just one or two wins before we get to the playoffs. Once we get in the playoffs, it does get a little trickier, right? Because you only have one Super Speedway and you have one road course in the playoffs. So you're going to have to hack your way through somehow. I mean, I guess that's 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 part of the challenge. Um, but if you said, hey, we're going to focus on speedways, road courses, and Phoenix, you could get to the playoffs that using that model. And then once you're in the playoffs, you might even be able to use that speedway to propel you to the next round. You could use the road course to propel you again. Um, you're just going to have to hack your way to the final round, and hopefully you've worked on Phoenix enough that you're fast there.
1: What I was going to say was, I think your tweet, although we've been at this for 10 minutes I believe right now, so I'm going to move on quick. Your tweet was misinterpreted as a judgment of talent and ability, and it wasn't the case. And this was the argument that Scott McLaughlin and I had on Twitter versus under your tweet, um, which was an interesting experience in itself. I'm a big Scott McLaughlin fan. Have been for a long time. I think the guy's an absolute badass to be able to come over here from supercars and be not only competing in IndyCar, but winning and be genuinely a championship contender this year. I think it's unbelievable. His ability to get into Oval so quickly has been amazing. But as you pointed out, it's just math that tells you NASCAR drivers have to be the most versatile because we have the longest season, the most races, and it is every type of racetrack you can – you know, you can conceivably put a stock car on, we race on right now. So, and then to your point, it's condensed into a very short amount of time. That means we never get to focus 100% on one type of driving. And just to give you an example, in the last four weeks, I personally, you know this so well, in my preparation, have had to, on a Monday, start the sim, for the next week after racing at Talladega, start doing the sim for Dover, which is two entirely different things. The week prior I was doing Martinsville and then focusing on in Talladega. And what fans don't understand is it's not just like getting your road car and driving in a circle and that's gonna be the difference. The cars are built entirely different from the brakes to the steering boxes, to the suspension setup, to everything we touch inside those race cars is entirely different. The first time you drive a super speedway car, it will feel nothing like the car you drove at Dover or the car you drive at Coda because they're entirely different. That's the craziest part. I don't think people understand. And then add in that the driving that you actually have to do in that car is entirely different. And there's nowhere I can, I know motorsports world very well, and I've driven open wheel race cars and I've driven, you know, I wanted to go to Formula One and I've studied that world so intensely. They absolutely take, if you had to put a percentage of the driving style that they use would be 90% as put across all of the racetracks, right? Maybe there's tracks that have a little difference in braking uh, or, you know, because they have low downforce or high downforce, you know, there's a 10% spread. In NASCAR, when I go to Martinsville, I use literally maybe 10% of what I use there in driving for Dover. Like (laughs) it's not even close. And when I go to Coda, (laughs) what I've used at Dover doesn't It shouldn't even be in the same – like you wouldn't even put the two in the same realm driving-wise. Not a single thing applies. Not not one moment, shift, brake, use I of the throttle, even argue. suspension, nothing. So it's like that. that's where the misconception is because – and here's my last thing. For the IndyCar guys, I'm a huge IndyCar fan. I love IndyCar and I love the Indy 500. But those cars, yes, they feel different on ovals and they feel different on – road courses i know that and i know the suspension is different and the aero is different and that sort of thing but i'm telling you and i know they run different inserts uh you know some guys will run an oval insert and a road course insert which is a little different like us running different seats there is nothing like the difference between changing steering boxes and transmissions and (laughs) brakes like we do in stock cars i guarantee you as a driver when you change all those feel points and you hop in for the first time and feel that thing you're going to hang on wait a a second (laughs)
0: even 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 if um even if that's you know that subjective yes feeling that you have is is the same with indycar right like if we had an indycar driver with us debate the other side right now they could say you know well how do you know because i deal with different steering and you know setups and it feels all it feels nothing and they could say the same things that you just said right but the thing that that <clears throat> drives my point about you know the what the NASCAR's edge is you know IndyCar races every two or three weeks, right? They have way more time to prepare and specialize for that next event, right? Where NASCAR is like you're out of the one and into the next. I can you know you talk about sim sessions, I can remember you know last year in these sim sessions is like in the middle of a sim session I'm running laps at new hampshire and then i they literally stopped the sim and restart it and i'm in portland right yeah. and it's like i have to switch within a sim session from you know this new hampshire driving technique and driving style and it's just it's almost like hang on let me get out my notes first and i need yeah, to like so think about i Portland just gonna portland, because it's just so much more density and so many more changes, and we're just so, you know we're just using one example, right? Like we didn't even go. I, I touched on it earlier. It's just like the in race, all the complexities oh, of in race, and so complex, and pitting, and lane choice, and double file restarts, and and the fact that we have so many restarts, and we have more competitors, and um, and here's another funny thing that that I saw was like. um uh, Somebody was like, "Well, IndyCar drivers, or you're even open wheel. Like, again, I don't. This isn't a debate against IndyCar. It just it became that way. Maybe because I have a lot of IndyCar followers, and, <laughs> and it's a before I don't know. But open wheel racers, you know, like, well, they're not allowed to touch each other, right? So those drivers have to, you know, can't they have to be able to make moves on each other, and they can't pound into each other like you hillbilly NASCAR guys that just plow into each other. And I'm like, okay, that's a really good point. But does that actually? help support or not support the idea of versatility because now you're saying a nascar driver um has to has multiple ways to overtake a car right where indie car if you know you can't touch a car right so it took out a total variable in terms of how to overtake right not trying to say overtaking in an indie car is well, easy never try well, hold, hold on hold on hold on can't hold imagine on, it's hold on.
1: easy well, it, it just to, to refute your point a little bit, uh, I think like three of the passes for the lead this weekend all involved contact at some, in some fashion or form. So we just, we just got to be fair. <laughs> we're being fair. And, uh, yeah, contact is a lot <laughs> in higher Indy risk car. in IndyCar. In Indy I guess contact yes. is a lot
0: higher – it's a lot higher risk, right? So I don't know. I, I just – when I saw this stuff about contact a couple times um, – I was thinking to myself, well, shoot, you know, like we still have to choose, like we can contact each other. In fact, sometimes you have to contact each other and you have to make that decision, right? Like, do I contact the guy? How hard do I contact him? Is it going to hurt my car? Is it going to, is it going to piss him off so much that he wrecks me back? Like what's the, you know, what's there's, there's a lot of complexity in that. And maybe that's motor racing. That might be unfair, but. Um, I don't know. I, the, uh, but yeah, the debate, it was fun on Twitter. I, I kept it as, as nuanced as I could. Um, it was, it's not a talent debate at all. And it's not even, it's not even a debate about like what produces more talent because, um, I'm not trying to say that because of NASCAR's schedule and because of this versatility belief that I've proposed, right. That it, means that nascar drivers are going to be the best drivers in the world right i it might actually mean the opposite because they have to be more generalist right so mm-hmm. we, you could spend a whole career racing nascar if we go another 20 years and it and the schedule remains like it is now it might we might just be a bunch of good old boy jack of all trades that are good at kind of everything but we don't specialize in anything and no nascar driver can go you know, to another discipline and really compete competitively because we didn't specialize in any of those things. Right. I think Um, that's a great, I don't know if it's a feature or a bug. The other, the other interesting (laughs) point that I have made since the conversation that I've thought was, does this even matter? Right. Like NASCAR, obviously NASCAR thinks it matters, right? Because they're, because they've made, intentional moves to say, Hey, we're taking away some of these intermediate tracks. We're replacing them with road courses. Um, uh, we're taking away some of the short tracks. We're replacing them. Uh, we, you know, with a, with a dirt track, like NASCAR obviously has a strategy here to, uh, to appeal to a broader audience or to new fans with these different racing formats. And the drivers are you know, going to have to be more versatile as a result, but does it matter if the drivers are versatile, does the market actually value that? Are more people going to watch NASCAR because we race on different types of racetracks or do people want to see specialists, right? Do they want to see NASCAR drivers that are really good at oval, like just insanely good at oval, right? And super speedway racing and short track racing. Is the market even going to value this over time? I don't know. So that's great- where, you know, some of that, in yeah, I'll take full responsibility on the uh, um, <laughs> on the 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 opening tweet of just people like well I don't know I'm not gonna take responsibility for people that didn't read the thread and didn't read my responses and see hey you know what this is kind of a nuanced conversation and I was inviting nuanced conversation um and nuanced debate and I'm you know I hate that Scott McLaughlin kind of like stopped right there and called me ignorant because it's like well, I don't think I'm ignorant you know I think <laughs> um I think I'm pretty open minded. <laughs> I can't uh, wait till you
1: guys meet. He's a good dude. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can't wait to see I, that I in person. Been, Maybe. So obviously hey, not. wait a second. Wait a second. This is a podcast. Eventually, we will invite a guest at some point. Maybe one of, you know, Scott will be our one of our first guests. So we can have the same yeah, debate. There you go. That'd be
0: awesome. In, you know, and everyone can hear But it. I don't know. Let's continue the debate if you uh, listen to this. Yes. Um, but let I, I know. don't know. We need to we need to go back uh the Money Lap team internally. Maybe I need to think about how we present these uh present these debates. Uh maybe starting them on the podcast and then taking them to social media is a better <laughs> route.
1: <laughs> that would be maybe the better strategy. Reach at, just let us know what you think. Use hashtag money lap or reach at the money lap uh on Instagram. But um I think that was that was well put. And the the last thing I'll say about all this is to your point of being a feature or a bug. It's, it's something that is unique to this form of racing right now. And we, you know, we, we have not seen many of the teams adjust to this, but as you point out, Colleg racing really has been the most visible and striking example of truly trying to be a specialist with the hiring of AJ Almdinger to be a part of their cup program. Right now, he sits 27th in points. If he goes and wins a road course that nets them gets them into the playoffs, that will be worth just in the first year prize money. If he finishes 16th in the playoffs that year, so dead last, they don't advance any further, he will have netted that team $1.1 roughly more in prize money. So when we're talking about the specialist versus generalist thing and why a team might do that, that's a perfect example. They're sitting 27 points, Mm -hmm. but to move 11 spots would make about $1.1 million more.
0: Yeah, and I think that you could already say that JTG has benefited from their specialist, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that Ricky Stenhouse is necessarily, you know, I don't think he is consciously hired because he's a super speedway specialist because Ricky's, pretty good at a lot of tracks but i think it's really well known that he is extremely good at super speedways and i think that that is a skill that has will can will carry him through to race nascar for as long as he wants to because any team that hires him knows he's going to contend on a super speedway yep it's a chance uh and speaking they, they of the same benefits right i think that they were yeah go ahead yeah well let's move let's move, move on speaking on, of
1: Moving on, uh, just a generalist out there who's doing big things in a lot of, in in, uh, in small, I guess small teams. Um, Corey LaJoy having a career year in the NASCAR Cup Series. Spire Motorsports having a career uh, season as well with the seven car. I was having this discussion with someone earlier today uh, who knows Corey's family and said, "Hey man, he's doing a great job." And I said, "You know, he really is." And what I'm most impressed with Corey is that for people that don't understand and they'll learn that this podcast is about all motorsports and we like to connect them all. I believe that what Corey has done over the last five years, in my opinion, is the hardest thing you can do in professional motorsports. And that is to be at the back end of the cup series, hanging on for dear life, going through shady owners, shady teams, you know, bad equipment, no hope, no light at the end of the tunnel. To end, to add in, in environments that are absolutely not built to help you improve, nor do they want to improve. They're surviving, right, often and many times. To race at that capacity and in that that culture is a really tough thing. To then take that and make it better and build on it and actually improve performance is almost unheard of. What he has done, whether he ever goes on to a bigger ride, and gets to go win races or wins a race in that seven car to me you know not and and add in he hasn't been driving Xfinity cars and trucks and going and winning races down there which usually for like myself would almost be a necessity because I need that motivation I need to taste winning I need to feel it because otherwise I I can't I get down the what he has done to me has been one of the more impressive things I've seen and so I think for a lot of fans out there, like, oh, this is cool. Like, this guy, just an underdog, deserves a shot. I'm like, no, no, no. What he's already done is incredible. Whatever happens from here, you know, I know he wants more and he wants to be there forever and, and to be a part of a winning team is, yeah, absolutely, that's the goal. But what has already been accomplished to have the start of the season they've had in that seven car and to know that he has improved and he's built, you know, helped them build this up, I just think it's an incredible thing. And I say all this speaking to a guy in yourself, Landon, who has done this. You went from the highest pressure situation I believe there is in the NASCAR Cup Series in the mid-2000s to be starting parking and having to qualify cars on time, to getting in smaller organizations and building them up and having great runs, to getting a shot in a more stable situation and sort of climbing that ladder. All the while, you're, you're back You know, for periods of those time, you're in 30th, 35th, and you're having to find tiny little victories and, and there's not a lot of people that care that you're there, right? And so no. it's just a really tough thing mentally to do and to do for a long period of time. And when we talk about grinders and golf, the grinders of motorsports are a Corey or like yourself years ago, doing that sort of thing and, you know, eventually being successful at it. So it's just to me, unbelievable. And shout out to him for another great run in the top 15 this weekend as he you know, continues grinding.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's really well put. I think in, some important notes on that is kind of what he's up against, even internally. And I'm not specifically saying aspire, but I'm just saying, you know, he, what I, I, I feel like maybe we're all feeling the same thing. And that's, I think we're seeing some, some light peeking through and that something's going to happen with Corey soon. I don't know anything. I'm not trying to like... I just, I feel like something's going to happen with him. I, I, I texted with him this morning and I was just like, man, you're doing so awesome. Like, I feel, I feel like somebody's, you're, you're going to get a shot soon. I don't know anything. I just mm-hmm. think you're going to get a shot soon. And it's in the most Corey way, possible. He text, you know, when he texted that or when he responded to that part, um, he said, well, more people with slacks on, talk to me at the racetrack now. So I, that must be a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning I think there's it's such more administrative people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> responding seeing him at the racetrack but but the thing is like what the what he's up against is like when you drive for those teams you're grinding like he's had to grind and like i've grinded you know you get these top 15s here and there and a lot of times it's a pat on the back right you know oh, like, oh he and sometimes it's even horrible because like the broadcast is just like they, they they broadcast the race and it's like oh and a good run from Corey. he ran 12th today and it's like, that's all you get. You get some scraps, you know? And I feel like it's finally shining through where people are taking notice. People are talking about it regularly because at the end of the day, the, the reason what he's doing, what I've had to do, what all these drivers that are grinding, the reason it is so hard is because even even team owners in this sport who've been in this sport for decades and know the sport really well and should know how hard it is to do what he's doing at the end of the day those team owners value people with wins right and time and time again i came up second place in a driver decision by a big team and they they went with a guy that had a win right or they went with the guy that had multiple wins and Corey, i know has gotten passed up on deals because it's like, eh, we went with the guy that's got a proven, he's got a trophy case, right? And he won yeah. races a couple years ago, or he won that one race last year. And and they, you know, and, and it's just like in that single moment, these decision makers just completely ignore the actual body of work that's being built by someone like Corey. And the fact that, you know, he he probably can win if he was just given the opportunity. Now. Um, as normal because it's been a topic of the day. I'm going to argue with myself um, <laughs> and contradict myself. I will say there is one thing. I think that's my job. There is one thing that could be, that could hold, you know, that could be a challenge or is a, a challenge for Corey in that, and that is the winning is valuable and it is important and you have to know how to win. Right. And Corey hasn't, Ooh, I shouldn't say this because he just... I mean, he won a big modified race last year at Martinsville. Like, he still knows how to win, right? He's had some wins. <laughs> Not big NASCAR wins, but that's a pretty big win. That's like winning a yeah. NASCAR yeah. race. Um, so I think it's important for Corey to still be able to know how to win because when he does get that opportunity, he needs to win, right? Like, I got in that mm-hmm. opportunity at college Racing last year, and I didn't get a win. I was so close a couple times. I don't know, you know, what the difference makers could have been, but it was like... I needed that one more year in the equipment and to have a little more consistency with the, um uh, with the equipment to like maybe get that first win. So that's, that is the one thing that like when these team owners revert back to p- past winners, um, at the end of the day that they, they look at the whole body of work and Corey, and then they devalue it by being like, well, this guy knows how to win. And there's some value, there's some merit to that. But, um, Corey I mean actually you know a good comparison Would be Matt Benedetto, right like he's a Guy that grinded and grinded and grinded for so Long um, And he did get his shot but when he did Get his shot you know he ran well But couldn't win right yep. like he couldn't yep. Close it out um, And that 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 is an example and I mean nothing against Matt but it's just like that is An example on why those Team owner t- team owners Will choose Eric Jones over Corey LaJoy Right when the yep. two when the two are available at the same time, right? Or they'll choose you know someone that's like, eh, hey, is he is he plateauing? Maybe, but he's got to win, so we're gonna go with this guy. Mm-hmm. That's why. But <laughs> I I got a lot of faith in Corey. I think he'll win when he gets the shot, and I think he's gonna get the shot too. Um, if nothing else, because he confirmed to me that more people with slacks are talking to him at the track.
1: And we shouldn't just knock down Spire. They've been very publicly. Uh, open about the fact that they wouldn't hold him back, right? Like, if he gets an opportunity at a championship-caliber race team or a race, you know, a car that's competed at the front and been part of the playoffs, they're going to say, by all means, go ahead. Like, you know, this was was the job we all set out to do together. You got it. Go get it done. So that's a pretty cool situation for him to be in. I do believe he'll get the shot. I do know there's multiple rumors out there about the cars that he's in discussion for, but... It's just cool, you know, to see a guy who has grinded to get the success and to get the recognition. Um, before we end today, because we only have one more thing left. Speaking of all the mix of motorsports we have in all this, the F1 NASCAR crossover of the year so far occurred kind of out of nowhere um, with RFK, so Roush, uh, Fenway, Keselowski, and Alpine, F1 team getting to have a day at the Charlotte Roval where the Pierre Gasly and Espan Ocon drove the next gen car on the Roval and then Chris Busher and Brad Keselowski got to drive a Ford GT against them I have no info as to who was faster in which car um but we did get our <laughs> F1 NASCAR crossover of the year so far and we're all pretty happy about it it looked like Espan cool. and Pierre had a great time so whatever pretty cool
0: sweet well you we probably read about that in the Thursday money Lap newsletter. Exactly. Check it out.
1: Uh, And before we go, I just have to say, Apple Notes, please add a sync function between uh, the phone and the Mac. That would be great. We'd be super happy about that. (laughs) Kansas this weekend, plus the Miami GP. You and I discussed it. We're not going to Miami, though. We're we're not, it seems like.
0: Uh, No. We don't have tickets. (laughs) We weren't invited. We're not cool enough to go to Miami. Uh, (laughs) The race isn't sold out, though. I I haven't seen where the race is sold out, so... It's not. Uh, they expect it to
1: be. But in. yeah, it sounds like they didn't get it done. So we'll see. I think that's it for money lap. Man. Let's make this Good a wrap. Start.
0: I'm tired of talking. I'm tired of. I'm tired of talking. This was fun. Thank you so much. Peace.